and welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is somebody who knows all too well that every girl's crazy about a sharp-dressed man. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Oh, I thought we were going in with another T. T Swift reference with the all too well. Really, uh, you gotta keep really on your toes. Exact. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good. Well, that was inspired by uh, something we're about to talk about because sharp is sharp. What is sharp? Is that ZZ Top, Leonard Skinner, ZZ, ZZ Top. Top. There we go. Not, I don't know if they were the sharpest dressers on the planet, but they did make some good music. <laughs> hey, they look cool, cool looking dudes. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Friends of the podcast, ZZ Top. So that was inspired by the press conference. As everybody knows by this point, the Tigers have hired Scott Harris to be the director of baseball operations. Is it director or president? President. President. That's my bad. The Tigers have hired Scott Harris to be the president of baseball operations. There was a lovely press conference, a little show of... uh, Support for the franchise and your lovely co-host Cody Stavenhagen asked the first questions, which means if you were watching the official Tigers feed, they panned the camera, got a glimpse of your boy over there looking sharp. You look good. I thought you put on a nice, uh, nice professional impression for a guy you're going to be working with here moving forward. Uh, and also first question. So kudos to you, looking sharp and first question. Yeah, that was all interesting. I just kind of raised my hand because generally uh, like a million people raise their hand, try to get a question in. So I was really just trying to get in line, like get in the queue. Then I ended up being first and I was like, oh, uh, I guess I'll ask the most basic thing possible. (laughs) Um, And so I didn't didn't actually there's some other stuff I wanted to ask, but that's that's not how it went down. And then uh yeah i have this like kind of gray like check like plaid not plaid but i don't know like checkered sport coat that that i've had never really get to wear as a baseball writer you don't (laughs) dress up very often i mean covered college football for some reason it was like more of a thing to like dress nice to games um and so i was like "Ah, i'm just looking for an excuse to wear this i guess i'll wear it so yeah yeah look good look good um a little behind the scenes question actually i'm curious about uh who all is in attendance for something like this? Because, you know, they have the introduction and there's the clap. And obviously it's not coming from members. Well, I guess it, maybe some media people would do it, but journalists uh, yeah, aren't doing it. Yeah, not really. So, no. so who's there? Um, now, I, I made this point to a fellow media member right before the presser started. It's like you forget uh, how large the Detroit media market is and how many people work for the Detroit Tigers organization until there are events like this because all these TV and radio and, and even some print people who are never really around for like your average Tigers game show up. There's a much larger media contingent and then it seemed like they had everyone who could possibly work for the Tigers. Uh, Alan Avila, the Tigers legal counsel, Al's uh, second son was there in the front row. I was like, I wonder if this is awkward <laughs> for him. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder. I, I would hate to be the guy that like told him he had to attend that. <laughs> yeah i know like or, or maybe he was i don't know maybe he thinks his dad like maybe he's like ah, so glad my dad got fired he's such an idiot like i don't know i have no idea what he's what alan avila thinks of this um you know and then uh, you, you have pretty much your whole baseball ops department a lot of your analysts and and support staff i mean just everyone you can think of some people you never see and it's like who are these people? Maybe I'm bad at my job for not having any idea who this is, but it's like the, the, the Tigers employ a lot of people. The front office is, is pretty large and it's only going to get larger, by the way, actually small compared to a lot of modern front offices. But that's all to say there were there were a lot of people there. Yeah. And we'll get into Scott in a second, but I don't want to like forget and not come back to this. I, I think there's a little little flowers for Chris Illich here uh, in regards in regards to a hire that is well-received, and obviously the results will dictate whether this was a good move or not, but as of now, we can only go with the information we have now. Seems like a, a good hire. And I thought he handled himself like a good head of state, uh, if you would, during this press conference. He had his like prepared notes, and then when you know, you and your fellow media members are asking him questions. Obviously, he's not, you know, that's where you got to think on the top of your head, right? And I thought he 
I thought he did well. I mean, I'm not trying to like oversell and be like, oh, maybe we should really rethink what we think about his tenure. No, no, no. But I just think in this <laughs> moment, it was it was a good moment for the franchise. I thought he handled himself well as the the head face of the organization. No, I, I agree big time. It was a very strong bounce back performance from Mr. Christopher Illich. You know, obviously when Al was fired, his presser was very odd and very terrible. And it's like, maybe he's just better at delivering good news. I don't know, but, but he was fine. And he he was thorough. He had answers that made, that made sense. Um, he, you know, went into a little bit of specifics about certain things he liked about Scott. The hire itself shows it seems the Tigers did run an extensive search. Again, multiple people throughout the league. A little surprised that the Tigers were able to get Scott Harris away from San Francisco and come to Detroit. So they must have done a good job in the interview process and pitching Detroit as an attractive place for an up-and-coming executive to work. Uh, so yeah, all that's all that's say, uh, you know, credit where credit is due. Better performance by Chris Illich. Good performance, and I thought the right tone of aggressive language and talking yeah. about like the goals of the organization because you know, like a lot of his tenure has been sort of just like sticking to the plan, you know, and 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 here we are. So obviously, it didn't didn't work out all that well. But this was a little bit more forthright about, you know, letting the fans know that he's got these championship aspirations. And whether that's true in his day-to-day and, you know, or does he just want money? I don't know. But I'm saying, like, in this press conference moment, he showed that he is committed to winning and he wants to bring a World Series to the Tigers for the first time since 1984. Uh that seems like a basic thing, but there are a lot of owners that are just cool collecting the money in, in all sports. So if if we're just going based on this press conference, we see where his uh, his goals are. Uh, I also thought, and again, it's just a press conference, so like I don't I don't want to overrate it, but you know that was part of the message, and I thought he delivered it well. Another thing that I thought, because we talked last week about how when you fire somebody and then hire his replacement you you tend to go like other end of the spectrum and all that stuff and i don't know if this was just general jargon or if it was just instinctual language on his part because he has gone through this process but there were a couple things that chris said that i thought at least could be considered digs at out so one of them that stood out to me um, when he was talking about what he really liked about Scott Harris, he said, uh, Chris did, uh, Scott's desire to innovate. And he said, that's not as common as you would think. Same thing with being aggressive in thinking. Those are two things I kind of, or in thinking to win a World Series. Those are two things that I thought he had either come across, either someone who previously worked for the organization, or someone that they had interviewed, and he felt like maybe those weren't strong traits, uh, as opposed to Scott, who he said has those strong traits. So I don't know if I'm just reading too much into it, but the desire to innovate one kind of, you know, it was like red lights when he said that to me. In theory, that's what the Tigers should have been looking for throughout the search process. Also, you employed a GM who was not at all known for a a desire to innovate or at least a, um, let's say, ability to innovate for a long time. And you gave him a contract extension. So I don't really want to hear like, oh, Chris, Chris loves innovation now because, you know, this could have been done before. Uh, My one like cynical take on the presser, it was very much two guys who have MBAs up there using a lot of buzzwords like innovation and culture and blah, 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 blah. And like. It was good. I, I mean, I think they're very personable. I think Scott Harris made a strong first impression. Uh, press conferences in general, especially like introductory pressers, are mostly just pageantry. So I'm trying to resist um, anointing Scott Harris until he actually starts making moves. But strong impression. Let's see if there is substance behind the business buzzwords because uh, Chris Illich can use the business buzzwords a lot and how much substance is behind that there, you know, that's obviously still somewhat debatable. Um, 
despite despite what seems to be a pretty strong hire, uh, at least on the surface. Yeah, you know, the, the, the buzzwords thing is a really good point because as it went on, it, it was kind of like the crutch they kept going to, you know, innovation and all that stuff where it's like it kind of loses its meaning the more you use it. And I get it. it you know, you're not really spilling everything, but it, it did kind of get a little dry there for a second. But you know, Scott, Scott Harris said the word opportunity. I think it was like 22 times, 23 times, something yeah. like that. Everything's an opportunity, which is which is not wrong. It was a, it was a great opportunity. Uh but yeah, it was like it, it was like okay, you're kind of overusing that word. Yeah, we get that we, it's yeah. a good opportunity. We get mm-hmm. it. So. so I'll I'll give my initial impressions of Scott, and then we'll kind of look at a little bit of his words here. For sure. I saw a guy who was very sure of himself. I saw a guy who was you know you bring up opportunity, but like sure of like the opportunity at hand. Uh, you know, running his own team and. And, you know, being able to have an organization with his fingerprints all over it. And also, I saw a guy that was intent on his own path, being his, 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 doing things his own way. And he said that in fewer or lesser words, and you alluded to that in your story on The Athletic. If you're a subscriber, you can read that story as well as Cody's other stellar content. So those were the big things to me. He did not, unless I didn't see him, and I watched it again this morning and, and took some more notes. I didn't see him have cards. Um, it seemed it seemed like he uh, was off the cuff. He was obviously prepared. Um, I'm a big believer, Cody, and I and I and I know how you work. That if you're prepared, you don't necessarily like need like verbatim notes like when you interview somebody because i've seen you do it like you don't write out every single question you know it's like you study it you know it and then you you bring the human element to it and i thought that's what scott did in this in this presser um he had his points he was gonna make but he didn't have to you know you know find his place on his cards and then and 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 then get to to the next line so i thought that was um I thought that was impressive to see. You know, maybe that's just someone being like NBA smart and all that stuff. But it's also, you know, the biggest press conference of his life to this point. So uh, to be that sure of himself, to be that confident, uh, to give us a little bit of a glimpse about how he views this job. And then knowing that, yeah, I work for Theo. Yeah, I was in two, you know high-level organizations got a world series ring but i'm doing this my way i'm doing this my way and so those were those were just like if i had to summarize my impressions those were mine what were yours yeah i I agree um again how much does a press conference matter probably none but quite a contrast from alavila who not known as the best public speaker very prone to go on tangents and then you kind of listen back and you're like, wait, what, how did we even get here? Scott Harris, very direct, very, uh, coherent, came off as incredibly intelligent. Um, people have already made the conversation, but the, the Theo vibes are real. You know, I've been around Theo just briefly in Chicago and, and really admired and and followed Theo throughout his career. And something about that self-assured way um, definitely stood out to me with Scott Harris and did indeed remind me of Theo Epstein. Again, I also liked, he wasn't going to say, oh, I'm going to do this just like Theo did, or I'm going to do this just like Farhan did it. Um, it seems like this is a guy who in theory is going to be able to blend these multifaceted approaches we talk about where he's going to be very data oriented, but hopefully not a slave to data and analytics. This is a guy who, um, you know, isn't going to look, he said he doesn't believe in five-year plans, which I thought that was kind of cool because yeah. we hear a lot in this game. Well, the plan, especially in the Alavila and your, the Alavila era was always, well, the plan in the future and the, you know, and Scott Harris like, look, this game is very unpredictable. I just believe in trying to put our heads down and build one good baseball decision on top of another. And I think that, that um, in theory is a pretty good way to look at things as well. He was obviously, he kept it really vague when it came to, timeline for contention when it came to the state of the roster the team the analytics department he was very much 
let me get in here and really dig deeper under underneath the hood before I start commenting on that, which I think is fine and, and smart, but it again did leave us wanting for um, more specifics that, that hopefully we'll get from him in time. Yeah, and I think to kind of build off what you just said, the the phrase I really loved when he was talking about, like, I don't believe in five-year plans, is there's, there's too many variables. And I was like, it was one of those, there were, there were a couple of things that he said that were, like, remarkably simple that I kind of was like, why didn't I, why don't I just, like, make this one of my ethos? And, and, yeah. <laughs> and that was one of them. It's like, you know, everybody has a plan, you know, until this happens. And, you know, you yeah. know. got the five-year plan for your life. Let me tell you, it's probably all going to go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Lord knows. Not to say you shouldn't have gold, but got to be flexible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the the dominate the strike zone thing I thought was interesting because, again, remarkably simple. Uh, the strike zone effects, which... I'm not going to like repeat his whole spiel, but you know, dominate the strike zone on both sides of the, of the ball of the plate and talk about variables. One of my thoughts was this is like a nice ethos. However, dominate the strike zone, which is a judgment call by the umpire, at least for now, maybe, maybe this is an even better, uh, a better way to go about things when you have robo umps, I guess. But, but I thought that was, we talk about how vague things were. I thought that was actually relatively transparent in regards to how he views uh, team building and, and what kind of players uh, he would like on the team. And then also, the the number one thing, and I'm going to sum it up in three words, his like three goals or pillars or how, whatever he described them as, he essentially said he wants the Tigers to be a factory. Like that, that he oh, yeah. probably, here, here's an idea, Scott, cause I know you listen Fred, of the podcast, uh, get signs in the front office that just say, be a factory. Like, like the tigers, it, it just seems like th- that's what he wants. He wants players to a develop and, you know, become the best versions of themselves. And B, we talked about this a lot as we look forward to the off season. What are the tigers selling free agents on? Well, now we have a theory of what what they're going to sell for agents on is that we're going to have the infrastructure, the resources, the manpower to make you as good as you possibly could be, whether it's a young guy who missed his first shot or an old player trying to prolong his career. Um, we see that with the best teams in baseball do this. Astros, Dodgers, all that stuff. So I thought that was... Those two things, dominate the strike zone and be a factory, were about as transparent as he got. And those are two things I think are great aspirations for a team like the Tigers. Like, in theory, the Dodgers don't have to be a factory because they can just say, hey, come live in California, you know. But, <laughs> but you know, if you're going to commit to uh, playing opening day in the snow – you'd at least like to know that there are some resources that are available that are going to make you the best version of yourself. Uh, so he basically gave us his, in a way, what he would ultimately like his free agency pitch to be as well, in addition to acquiring, developing, and retaining young players, which was the first thing he said. Yeah, and and the Guardians are a factory. I think that's yes, a, a, yes. Like a more maybe realistic blueprint than, than becoming the yes. Dodgers. I think the strike zone thing is huge and again simple yet just revelatory tigers have led the league in chasing outside the strike zone like what uh 2018 2019 they're leading this year they were uh second in 2020 they're a little bit better last year they've not had discipline hitters for the entirety of this rebuild you want a simple way to improve the trajectory of this franchise get guys who can control the strike zone who can take some walks um who will strike out less and, and make a little more contact and then same goes on the pitching side. The Tigers don't have a lot of power strikeout pitchers, and a lot of guys they've acquired at the, you know, think of all these one-year free agent signings that haven't really worked out. Matt Moore, Tyson Ross, Ivan Nova, Michael Pineda, not really strikeout-driven guys. So a simple change in the – granted, sometimes you have to pay more of a premium for guys with this skill set because everyone's looking for this, but uh, – to identify one area where the Tigers have really struggled, it's controlling the strike zone on both sides of the ball. 
um, especially especially at the plate. And so just a simple look. If I if I'm Willie Castro or I'm Harold Castro and I hear that, I'm thinking, oh, I might want to buckle up my seatbelt <laughs> here because suddenly I'm no longer valuable. I know this is something AJ has talked about and is very important to him. I'm curious how much of that that strike zone um, prong. Scott Brad himself, how much of that was influenced uh, through his talks with, with A.J. Hinch and others in the organization. But I think it's huge, and I think that's probably the one most immediate upheaval we will see is a pretty drastic change in profile of the types of players being brought in. I know it's more... And the Giants were great at it, obviously, yeah. last year, known for a tremendous amount of moving at the back end of the 40-man roster and really leaning into matchups and, and putting guys in position to succeed, looking deep into pitch data and how does a guy's swing plane play against this pitcher's cutter and identifying guys putting them in a position to succeed and then and then moving on to the next one if that's what you got to do I, I don't know if it'll be quite that frequent of a turnover here in Detroit but you know this guy's been at a place that that has done that to at a high level I know it's more complicated than this but uh, when I was thinking of like offensively, like controlling the strike zone, I was like, all right, let's look at on base percentages. It's not not the most pretty thing on the planet. Uh, three Tigers have on base percentages above 300. That would be not- that would be Cabrera at 307. That would be Riley Green at 312, and Robbie Grossman at 313. <laughs> Robbie still had a 313 OVP for as much as he got done. That's not good. Uh, one of them is a guy who hits for no power. One of them is a rookie, and you, it, you could argue, you know, you'd like it to be higher than 312. Uh, yeah, it's not not great. Wonder why you're the worst offense in baseball. I think we've already solved it. There you go. And another another comment that I kind of wrote down is Scott mentioned. Under this is pretty close to a direct quote if it's not a direct quote. Under the hood resources uh, that the tiger that the tigers have. I think that was one of the. I think that was after the question of how, what convinced you to to, to come to Detroit. I believe if yeah. memory serves correct. Yeah. And and that was one of the things that he mentioned. And whenever that stuff gets mentioned and whether it's like when your colleague ken rosenthal will kind of write about the tigers and then and he'll put a line it's like resources are not a problem or you know something to that effect jeff passan i believe has wrote about that when uh his break with his breaking news story um it's always like a line in there and there's no elaboration because a it would take forever to elaborate on and b those are things that are typically you know not for public consumption right and so it's a little bit frustrating for me because I like hearing that. However, I would eventually, I know this stuff doesn't, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, would like this to sort of manifest itself in a couple more visible ways. Uh, but as we, we can only do with what the information we have, it's at least interesting that it was part of a selling point to get Scott here. Again, I repeat, I said this in our breaking news podcast and watching the presser and then re-watching the presser didn't make me deviate from this point. This is a guy who didn't have to come here and this is a guy who was sold on, insert eight buzzwords here, uh, uh, by Chris and by AJ and, and then he sold himself to them as well. Um... If you're looking for things that give you hope, those are one of the things that give you hope is that this is this is something that didn't necessarily have to happen. Like he would have been hired by as a GM eventually somewhere if he wanted it to. And he had gone through I, I, I didn't take any he was already a GM. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. See, I was my 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 default a number one. Yeah. yeah. My yeah. default is always to say GM, but yeah, as a number one. Uh he, I didn't take anything about like when I did this process. It was you know different than any other team. Like that, that's more generic than anything else. But it's also good for the fans to hear. Um, so, so yeah, nothing really moved me off that, Cody. Did 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 were you reaffirmed in the things that we talked about uh, Monday, Tuesday, whatever day that was? 
uh, Monday. And, and uh, having met him, seen him, you know, in a press conference environment and, and seen a little bit more about how the Tigers went through this process. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Everything, again, on paper checks out. I've only heard good things about Scott Harris. Seems like that's kind of the word throughout the entire league. So that's all positive. In terms of the under the hood stuff, I think he was referring more to, you know, the player development type stuff we talk about. Um, Again, there's going to be some work to do in terms of analytics and biomechanics and things that Tigers have been trying to sell for a long time and things that really came to light this year that are, are still substandard. But uh, there's there are a lot of the right people in place, maybe possible under new leadership that that values that more to really strengthen those areas. If you want one good under the hood selling point, I mean, look at player development this year under Ryan Garko. You know, you've had some pitchers like Wilmer Flores come out of nowhere. Yeah. You've had um, a lot of hitters make pretty good strides. Parker Meadows probably being the poster child, but yep. there have been several several guys. Roberto Campos, Christian Santana made some strides throughout their first season. I think I think the Tigers are getting the player development right with this new regime that took over before this year. Resources, I think that becomes more money, payroll. Again, what's what exactly are we talking this offseason? It's hard to say. Uh, I do still think there are some. You know, I, I think I made a comment the other day. Like, can we get some like better lights in the clubhouse? Like, You're it's right. so depressing in there. And really, a lot of the player facilities look like. They don't look old, but you can tell they haven't really been updated since Comerica was built. And I actually started hearing about that uh, kind of from the player side for the first time um, this past week. I think there are some little things that, that could be done to make it feel like a more big league environment for for the players. Um, also, the team plane still has ashtrays, which is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, they all do, man. I, I love flying and then going into the going into the bathroom and it's like, no smoking, it's a federal crime. And then you see the <laughs> ashtray that's still in the door. <laughs> Wasn't that long ago. It's like, I don't know. You forgot it wasn't that long ago. Jim Whelan was the manager of the Tigers. <laughs> that, so. That's also a good point. Anyone going to tell him not to light up when they're in the air? I don't think so. Um... In regards to the timeline, we touched on that a little bit just with the, I don't believe in five years things. I kind of got the impression he's going to almost treat, I don't want to necessarily a repeat of this, but I think he's going to kind of treat it like basically Al did a couple years ago where you make some solid signings, some short-term signings with the idea of... uh, being a above 500 team i think would probably be something that he's looking at if he's doing a check by check uh didn't get the impression of a like going out and signing like the most expensive free agent but i also don't think he necessarily wants or believes in teardowns and i don't think obviously i don't think like aj hinch would be here for a teardown uh, I don't think Chris is interested in a teardown because there's a lot less revenue involved in that, uh, especially when you got to do it back to back. So I got the impression that we're kind of striding the middle lane there a little bit where you're not going to overextend yourself, but you're also not interested in what was uh, the the two all-stars that they signed? You mentioned a couple of them. The, the year with Mercer and uh, and Harrison and and Tyson, like all that stuff. They're, I don't see that as the forecast for this offseason. I, I believe it'd be like a measured approach. But you're not just going to sign guys for the sake of signing guys. It's kind of like the impression I got. Yeah, uh, hard to say. I want to I wanna learn more. I think we are getting an idea this middle lane looks like some guys on one-year deals, but you hope guys who can be more of like the CJ Crone and Jonathan Scope year, yeah. like guys who can come in and and um, be not just stopgap players, but like good stopgap players. I think next year has to be presentable. I don't think you can be terrible again. Yeah. You know, if you can, if, and, you know, if this goes right, if Twerk and Green come on and this and that, like there's a world in which you could build a 500 baseball team. Um, now could they still be more aggressive? I'm, I'm not sure I'm out on the idea of going after a shortstop and everything like that, but I, I think if they are to take that middle lane, that's, that's probably more what it looks like. You get, I get like three or four guys who 
who are, you can get on short-term deals, but you can feel good that they're going to be strong contributors. And obviously that's not easy to do. No, you're right. In the category of, it probably means nothing, but it was fun to go and do a little bit of research on this. I went and looked if there were any sort of, uh, this time with the Cubs and then Giants, whether they were close in the draft selection in any uh, fashion, uh, fashion and you know what those results were. Obviously, the number one thing that stood out to me, you know, he was a part of the front office that drafted Alex Lang, so there's a there's a little bit of a connection there. 2017, in 2013, when the Cubs took Chris Bryant number two overall, the number nine pick that year was one Austin Meadows. So safe to say he scouted him as a teenager, and you know, so I guess there's a little bit of institutional knowledge there. And then, interestingly, the his last year with the Cubs, the Cubs passed on Cody Clemens back-to-back picks, 77 and 78, and then Clemens was taken number 79th. So there's not a lot there, but it was kind of fun to dive into the drafts a little bit. So he's, he's got a little bit of institutional knowledge on at least a couple of these guys because they were close in draft position. Interesting. And also, I, I don't know exactly what kind of role Scott Harris played in the draft. It is interesting. He's not from a scouting background at all. I mean, he has a pretty multifaceted background. Probably the one area doesn't seem like he, he he was really brought up in is scouting, which makes me wonder if he hires a GM, um, if it's an external hire, if it'll be someone with more of a scouting background. I don't know that, but that would seem to kind of make sense, maybe. Yeah, and we... But I, they're, they're, they're also... I mean, I think they're going to be big turnover in amateur scouting specifically, so I think we're going to see some new blood in that department regardless and you, you trust scott to hire the right guys there yeah and you know as somebody who's been a candidate to be a number one in the front office see i didn't say gm a number one in a front office he's obviously got a rolodex of guys that he's either talked to it's like you know over i don't know if he drinks but over cocktails at night it's like hey man you know if i get this job you want to come with me and, you know blah blah, blah. so I imagine that would be a I, I imagine he's got like a handful of people in mind and again if we're gonna use this weird vague term of resources when Chris goes up and says he has the authority to hire a GM if he wants one uh, and and then you know and credit to being transparent Scott says yes I plan on hiring a GM I don't know when or you know whatever so uh if you're just trying to look for little things that give you a, a little glimpse into the operation that is as vast as a baseball organization, those are things that I, I would say are on the encouraging side. You, you know what the people want to talk about, Kieran? You know what story the people are obsessed with? What do you think about the Steve Eiserman name drop? I'm glad you brought that up, Cody, because it was one of those things that... <laughs> when it was like a throwaway name because 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 i went again i went and rewatched the press conference and it's like you know this person that person you know names you heard of names you maybe not necessarily heard of and it's like steve eiserman and then blah 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 and i was like wait wait steve eiserman and i gotta tell you i i i don't know exactly what the twitter consensus is on that but I am all in favor of that. I think one of the worst things you can be in business and organization building and evaluation is too narrow-minded. And Steve Eiserman is somebody who has been successful in every aspect of his life. He was a great amateur hockey player. He was a great, obviously, professional hockey player. He was a great uh, GM with the Tampa Bay Lightning. He built Team Canada into a perennial gold medal winning uh, operation. He is exactly somebody that, like, knows what it takes to succeed in various aspects of sport. And for Chris Illich, that is a resource. 
And I think it was actually a good thing that he sort of, you know, obviously we don't know exactly what the involvement was, but it's like, hey, what are some of the best traits that you find in, you know, bringing people in? And, you know, like, I think Steve Eisman has a lot to offer a lot of people in various aspects of business and life and in sports, you know? Not asking him to evaluate Riley Green's swing mechanics here, but, you know, but he probably has an, an eye for uh, for people who are successful in team building, organization building. I almost think we should sell that more, to be honest. Like, I thought that was that was awesome. I, and, and again, a reminder of how much of, like, a sports town Detroit is. Because, you know, he, you think Jerry Jones is asking, like, Mark Cuban, like, who he should hire for his head coach or whatever? Kind of doubt it. Kind of doubt it. Don't think that's really how it operates. But it's just kind of a reminder of how close-knit the sports community in Detroit can be. We saw Torek and Green at a Michigan football practice last week. Uh, obviously, the proximity with all the stadiums and arenas is is a part of the feature of the city. I thought it was an amazing thing, and I kind of wish we sold it a little bit more. And then, of course, as fate would have it, Eiserman has an availability the next day, and so he gets asked about it, and the connection is actually a little bit deeper than uh, than we thought. These guys had actually met Scott and Steve, so, you know, you know, how about that? I thought that was kind of neat, and also a, a good, I mean, we've given Chris a handful of pronounced credits here. I think that's also a credit to Chris. Why not use him as a resource? Yeah, I think... I, I think maybe that's probably overblown a little bit just because it seems cool. I don't think it, it it seems like based on what Scott and Steve have said, like, you know, there was kind of a meeting. Iserman had a little bit of consultation and just like the hiring of the executive, but I don't think he was like hands on in the search from what it sounds like. Yeah, or, like, getting but no, nor Scott. should he be, but yeah. Uh, so I think, I think maybe we're making a little much of it just because it like seems cool. I do think it's a good idea. Uh, from Chris to lean on Steve Eisman and, and someone with um, that level of experience. I don't remember if it was Scott or Steve. Someone alluded to they had some other business executives in some of these discussions. So it sounded like they had probably someone from Little Caesars um, just kind of being like, hey, here's how we run our businesses. Like, here yeah. are our other top executives. I kind of like that idea, you know, not to be like how you decide when a leader, but maybe when you bring in a top candidate, have them meet everyone, you know, see what, what the rest of these uh, respected executives think. I, th- I think that's pretty smart. One thing that I forgot to point out, probably the funniest thing about the press conference, in addition to Christopher Illich and Scott Harris on the podium, there was Chris McGowan from yes. Illich Sports Entertainment. Why was he there? <laughs> I don't know. I looked at another reporter right before the press and I said, is he there just so Illich won't have to talk more? But then everyone just asked their questions to Illich because, like, I don't really know who Chris McGowan is. Like, I know he's, you know, yeah. kind of in charge of Illich Sports and Entertainment. But I've never talked to him before. And it was very unclear why he was on the podium. Chris Illich didn't really throw him and he uh, didn't really mm. tee him up for any answers. I think it was like the last question of the presser. Yeah, Someone was, was kind enough to be like, uh, for Chris McGowan, what was your role in this process? And he was just like, yeah. Logistics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are... That was, I felt bad for him the whole time he was up there. I was like, oh, this poor guy. And I still could not tell you the, the exact rationale for uh, why he was on the podium. Maybe they wanted him to get him in front of the camera more, get him some experience. I have no idea, but that was very random. Well, added to the comedy is that like every question was either this is for scott or this is for chris but none of them were actually for that chris so he kept hearing his name well the entire a lot time. of you i started off this is a question for chris illich <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of other people uh were going with christopher which is not like colloquially or really like i don't know i never call him christopher otherwise but his name card said christopher Probably to distinguish him from Chris McGowan. <laughs> this is very disrespectful, but I when I saw him up there and obviously just doing nothing, and then the most vague the most vague thing said. To be honest, uh, he definitely could have gone in more detail that I would have been fascinated <laughs> by. But just in terms of like 
he be- he essentially said he was compliance to use like a college term, make sure they were doing things on the up and up with Major League Baseball and all that stuff, and then flights and you know. But it was one of those things where I was like, whatever his job is, I feel like I could do that job. I don't necessarily feel like I could do Scott's job. I definitely don't want to be a, a team owner, although my bank account would probably be helped. But I was like, that guy who just had to worry about flights and rules, I could do that. You know, and obviously he does way more than that. But. Yeah, I'm sure his job's hard. I'm not going yeah. to knock his position. Yes. Although I will say I don't know what his actual job description is. <laughs> I have no idea what he does. Yeah. I say all that stuff in tongue-in-cheek. and then to But to bring it back to the to wrap up the Eiserman thing real quick, uh when the when the Lions were hiring, you know, going through the hire process of hiring Brad Holmes and and Dan Campbell, they brought in like the former athletic director at Michigan State, you know, and they had Barry Sanders as like a consultant. Was Barry Sanders breaking down everything? No, yeah. but it was you know it was sort of like a unified front thing. So these these kind of things happen, and and overall, I think it I don't know, it just makes you look good if you have more people that are smart or successful like at least involved in some small way so okay I, one of the things that i had texted you uh on monday because you had said that you had a big story we had teased it for i don't know it seems like a month on this podcast about oh, jace young uh coming out and so one of the things i texted you i was like so uh we pushing back the the jace young story <laughs> You're like, yeah, but got to publish it finally this week. If you haven't read it, um, obviously, if you're an athletic subscriber, which you should be, uh, you can read that in its entirety. But it essentially is a story that you tell so well because you this is the kind of thing that you focus on is who's underneath the uniform. And I guess in this case, kind of who's behind the guy in the uniform. And it talked about a special relationship that he had with a consult. What's the correct term for, uh, for special, Ray Hayward? Special assistant. Special assistant. I want to make sure to get that right because they're, uh, I think the uh, theme of our recent podcast is job titles are just so stupid. Yes. Yes, exactly. But, um, right. Mr. Ray Hayward had gone through a lot recently and it very much affected Jace and if you ever think, how did Jace get that funky swing? You go into it in this story. So, uh, you know, we can peel the curtain back a little bit, Cody. Uh, how did you kind of get wind of this? How did you go about reporting something that was sensitive and technical? Because there's a lot of medical terms and technologies or whatever that you have to explain. Um, and a lot of voices in that story that's, uh, you know... I don't know. Some people don't want to talk about these kind of things. So how did you kind of go about this story? Yeah, I think I really got this story idea um, where I get most of my best story ideas, a website known as google.com. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Tigers drafted Jace. I was kind of looking up, reading about him, saw in the past that he had credited um, Ray Hayward for this setup at the plate. And I was like, oh, it was Ray Hayward. Googled him and... Uh, some of the first things that come up are about his his recent health complications. You know, some stories saying family of Ray Hayward request, requesting prayers, things of that nature, and that immediately got me like, hmm, well, that's that's really interesting. I wonder, you know, could there be a story there? And I went to talk to Jace. I went to see him play, you know, one day at West Michigan this year, and went to talk to him, and was like, I'm just gonna kind of ask him about Ray and and see where it goes, see if it's something that could be a thing. And he was really open. He was really good talking about Ray, giving him a lot of credit for helping him with his, his setup at the plate, but also um, talking about Ray's journey and health complications and everything he went through and kind of what that was like for uh, Jace to witness. And I was like, okay, I think this is a thing. I think I want to do it if, obviously, if Ray Hayward is interested in it. So I emailed the the communications at Texas Tech and was like, Hey, I just had a conversation with Chase Young about this. I think it could potentially be a really good story. Um, I understand it's sensitive, so I just wanted to see if, if there's any chance Ray and, and Tim Tadlock, the head coach at Texas Tech, might be interested in talking. And um, took a little bit to get Ray on the phone, um, but once I finally arranged an interview, he was 
amazing. You know, he was very open. He made it easy on me. He didn't really have any trouble talking about what he went through. And, you know, I, I like to think he probably saw the value in sharing his experience. It's really a harrowing story because this guy goes in for a, you know, routine heart procedure. Not that anything heart related is, is routine. It's almost a little bit of an oxymoron, but they were cleaning out an artery or doing something with the valve and what exactly went wrong. I, you know, that's when it gets deep into the medical terminology and I don't think he even knows half of it. And, uh, that part of the story is a little vague, but I also didn't want to bog it down with a million technical details. Basically the surgery went wrong, you know, something went wrong with his heart and it, it gets thrown off rhythm. They basically have to shock him to try to reset its rhythm. It doesn't work. Then it's, you know, there's a leak and there's bleeding. And next thing you know, he is in critical, critical condition. They put him in a medically induced coma, um, basically hoping it'll give him a chance to heal. He's on a machine, an ECMO machine that's basically acting as his heart and lungs. And at that point in time, a lot of people thought he was not going to make it. So he went from Oh, I'll be back in three or four days. I'll be back to coaching in a couple weeks to it was four months before he able, was able to return home. He ended up needing a heart transplant, a kidney transplant, had to go through um, inpatient and outpatient rehab. He's made actually an amazing recovery, defied a lot of odds. A lot of doctors are amazed that he is still here after everything his body went through. Even when you get a heart transplant, it's not always a guarantee that your body is going to receive that well. It seems like his has, but he is still has a long recovery ahead. He gets fatigued extremely easily. His body is basically acclimating to uh, someone else's organs inside of it, which is in- incredible to think of. And I, you know, I mm-hmm. asked him that. I was like, "What is, what is it like knowing you have someone else's heart and kidney inside of you?" And he said, "Well, I, you know." I sit there with my wife every morning and we drink our coffee and I kind of think about that and it's just really hard to wrap your mind around. Um, And it's from my seat. I can't imagine what it would be like for Ray. But anyway, talking more with Jace, with Tim Tadlock, um, you know, Ray Hayward, he's one of these guys. He's a baseball lifer. We used the term baseball man a couple weeks ago. This is a baseball guy, you know, scout for a long time, former Tiger scout, uh, just been around the game his whole life and can't get away from it. Even now, um, he shows up to the field at Texas Tech every day. Sometimes they're like, it's, Ray, it's you're, not you're having... cool over there, by the way. No, it's hot. Sometimes <laughs> he gets to sit in the air conditioning. I didn't. I don't think I put that in the story. He like sits upstairs in the AC sometimes. Uh, he shared that, <laughs> but he was like, sometimes they're like, man, you're having a bad day. Just go home, man. We get it. You just had a heart transplant, and he's like, no, I want to be here. It's good for me. Um, so you see a lot of old school toughness with Ray Hayward, and uh, tough to know. I don't know. I, I I tend to think that's a reason he's recovered so well. I mean, this is a, a tough dude. He walked further than anyone had ever walked on the ECMO machine when he was in the hospital. He got up and sat in a chair every day instead of laying in bed. I have to think that, that, that just his old school attitude probably played some role in why he's recovered as well as he has. The way I would describe it, he's a bull. Yeah. Like he, he you know, he's a bull and, uh, and you can, tell by the words and i imagine when jace is you know speaking them to you like the impact that this guy has had and continues to have and if if i may make a uh a light plug he's from enid so the guy the guy who helped craft the unique swing of your first round draft pick tigers fans is from enid oklahoma so the oklahoma connection Mm -hmm. to the tigers Gets a little deeper, <laughs> um, and it's also one of those things that you read it, you know, because it's obviously about a baseball man and through the lens of his impact on a young baseball player. But it's really just a human story, right? And um, another example is like when you filling out for your driver's license renewal or whatever, and you know, because yeah. I had to do this for an address change. Do you want to be an organ donor? Uh, I mean, these are. This is an example of someone who was given a second life because of the the sacrifice that others made for their fellow man, right? So, uh, the little bit of a story of the impact of some seemingly trivial decisions or whatever, just like checking a box on a form, right? You know, so the, it's very powerful, very powerful. I thought you did a good job explaining everything. 
and you know maybe maybe he can get well enough and you know a couple years jace gets his uh his call up to detroit and he can you know make the trip trip up north and and see jace make his uh major league debut i think that'd be pretty cool i wouldn't be shocked if he does uh, i guess he was doing well enough i'm pretty sure he was at josh's debut recently in, in arlington so a little bit of a quicker trip but dude was there you know hard to keep this guy away from things yeah i mean i it's one of those things where i couldn't respect somebody more that i haven't met right to to be that committed to be that strong-willed and and also a good reminder of uh the power of of people around you whether it's his wife uh wife, the texas yeah. the the tech tech community the lubbock community uh people like jace you know like one of the things that we do one of the i would say one of the problems we have in society is that we're connected as we ever have been but we're also more separate than we've ever been and uh this is an example of the reminder of personal relationships and community like the impact they can have as well so all right to move on from something very serious to something a little bit more light where we just witnessed albert pujols hit home run number 700 and we didn't necessarily think we were going to get that we got it congrats to albert probably the greatest right-handed hitter of all time and with Miguel reaching his two milestones, each uh, you know one each of the past two seasons, including this one, and then Albert with number seven hundred. Uh, another reminder is like we're not seeing these things for a long while. Either three thousand hits, five hundred home runs. We're certainly not seeing seven hundred for a long time. Uh, and Aaron Judge, in regards to his single season home run race. Which is actually kind of interesting. There's a couple of funny tidbits that in the coverage that I found amusing. One is, when's the last time you heard the term American League record or National League record? Yeah, or- I don't know. If, I don't know if you want to get me started on this topic. <laughs> I, I, I have some pretty strong feelings about it, actually. Uh, Go. Yeah, never. Who cares? Like the like. There's this whole debate: is this the real home run record or not? Well, there's one way to know what the real home run record is. Go look in the record book. Who's it go to? It's Barry Bonds, 73. If we want to change that, then the commissioner needs to go in and change it or add an asterisk or do something. Major League Baseball has not done that, so it does not erase the fact that Barry Bonds hit 73 home runs. Was it tainted by steroids? Yeah, of course it was. Again, as a child who grew up watching baseball in the steroid era, let's just admit the steroid era was kind of cool, you know? Uh, I think Aaron Judge absolutely deserves um, incredible props for hitting 60 home runs in theory, without the aid of performance-enhancing drugs. But it's not the record! Uh, is it a big deal for him to tie Babe Ruth and now to, to be on the cusp of tying and passing Roger Maris? Yeah, that's a huge deal. But, like, AL record now, I, I guess it does also show, like, how the steroid era did damage the game at the same time. Because now we have to jump through all these gymnastics to figure out uh-huh. how to celebrate Aaron Judge. And although there's a lot of interest in this, and I think it's good for the game, it's nowhere near like the home run chase in 98 because, number one, he's not chasing the actual record. And I think, number two, people are uh, burnt out by, you know, just, it's harder to care about the home run chase because the steroid era did did diminish that. So um, I both enjoyed the steroid era and, and think it, you know, it's, I guess, still harming the game in some ways. But AL record, like, I don't know. It's, it's cool that he's going to pass Roger Maris. I think that's awesome. I just don't, I just don't, I think the record belongs to Barry Bonds. Yeah, and I will say this, for as long as someone's been trying the top Babe Ruth, there have been people trying to bring him down. Uh, the fascinating aspect of Maris's chase was that if he didn't get in a certain amount of games, like, uh, was it, who was the AL president? Was it Heritage at the time? I should know this. Uh, basically said, it's not the record if he didn't right. do it in the same amount of games, and, you know, that's, obviously bs in my back opinion in the, like, back in the the days when the media had powers a new york sports writer who suggested the use of an asterisk and the, yeah. the commissioner was like yes that is what we will do <laughs> um an- another fun topic is what do you do with if you catch the baseball uh we we've, we've touched about this a little bit uh before i get into that part 
I read the New York Post did a story about the guy who caught Maris's 61st home run, mm. and he was just a he's like 19 years old. He borrowed money from his girlfriend to get tickets to the game at like the last second. Uh, they eventually got married, and he said that it's a loan I was never allowed to repay or whatever. <laughs> it was like hung over his head. He caught the ball, you know, eventually got to the locker room with uh, Maris, and he was going to give it to him. But Maris said, hang on to it, kid. Sell at auction. The person who's going to buy it is just going to give it to me anyway. So that's exactly what happened. So he got five grand, wow. which I, I I forget what the the story said, how much that is now. Um, a, a lot, but not as not, yeah, not as much like as that would balls. go for now. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I think it was like a hundred something grand yeah. or whatever. So he got five grand, and uh, he Maris let him keep Maris's Zippo lighter. So they smoked a couple cigarettes in the locker room together. <laughs> yes, and, and then he got another baseball signed by Maris and the the Red Sox pitcher who uh, who threw it. I can't remember his name. So I thought that was kind of funny. Um, in regards to whether you get 60, 61, or any of the subsequent balls or 700 uh, over in Los Angeles, the latest information I have is that the guy who caught number 700 did not give it to Albert. He wants to keep it. Um, Albert, for his credit, has said he doesn't care whether that's true or not. I don't know. The guy who caught number 60, uh, judges number 60, just kind of gave it to him and he got some signed bats and jerseys or whatever got a picture him and his buddies i did see somebody on twitter say that uh he would not give the ball to judge until he re-signed with the yankees i thought that was uh oh, it's genius <laughs> that was pretty good um me personally i think as a, like a be a steward of the game of what everything that we love about baseball i think that you should give the ball if the player wants it to to him and then the player slash the team ought to give you like, I would I would prefer a game used over signed, but you know jerseys, bats, you know that kind of memorabilia. Have a little moment, you know, meet the guy, take a picture, all that stuff. But I feel like that's like the good steward thing to do. Of course, I've never had a hunt, you know, five hundred thousand dollar baseball in my possession, so maybe it's easy for me to say what to do with somebody else's money in a way. But um, that's sort of my take on it. I think that's like the re- respectful thing to do. I would stop short of like criticizing someone who decided to keep it, but I just feel like it's the better move to give it to the player and then he can kind of decide whether he wants to do it, they keep it, donate to Cooperstown, you know, whatever. Um, but that's kind of my take on it. We we're, we have a lot of back and forth we see on Twitter about this, Cody. You got you got to lean on that. I'm getting everything I can out of that ball, man. Um, I think it, I think the context of what kind of ball it is matters. If it's judges 60th, that's cool. That's really historic, but it's not like, it's not like the ball, you know, his 60 seconds me is like the ball. Uh, so if I catch 60, I'm like, all right, I want, you know, if I'm a New Yorker, I want Yankees season tickets for life. I want everything signed in game use. You can possibly give me. I want to smoke a cigarette with Aaron Judge, and like, I want to <laughs> uh, yeah, be like, you know, assistant GM. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe you don't get all that, but like the teams now try to leverage you. The fan who catches the ball has all the power, and teams try to convince them that they don't. Like the guy in Detroit who caught Pujols is what, like 2000th RBI or whatever. Um, you know, they try to be like, oh, well, we're not going to authenticate it if you leave here. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. At the end of the day, you caught the ball. It's your ball. Don't just give it away for nothing. And if you catch 62 or Barry Bonds 756 went for $752,000, you're talking life-changing general generational money at stake. Major League Baseball has tried to make it harder for fans to keep the ball through their authentication process. No claim that once you leave the park, that thing is worthless if it's not authenticated. I don't know how true that is. I think uh, it's serial numbered though. So well, that like, that's true. Yeah, well, these are one historic occasions. The Pujols ball in Detroit, I believe, was not serial numbered. So there, there's your there's your difference there. Uh, if I catch a ball that's worth seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, think I'm selling that thing. You know, I think Albert Pujols. Uh, has plenty of memorabilia throughout his career. I think he has plenty of home run balls. 
think he's going to get plenty of good out of hitting 700 home runs. I think if you catch the ball and it's worth that much, you don't, you definitely don't give it away for nothing. Um, I think if you're talking about like the, the record ball, I think I'm leaning towards selling that thing. If it's a otherwise very important ball, I would be willing to give it back, but I would want to make sure that I got, um, that's, you know, a really good value in return. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like I, I'm, everything I'm saying is like, I want people acting in good faith, which as you and I both know is, uh, asking for way too much a lot of times in life. Uh, so yeah, season tickets, like, you know, something the team can offer or whatever. Like I would hold out for that. Um, I just, I'm just romantic about baseball. I would like it. I would like to have, you know, money comes and goes, you know, like not to say I couldn't use $750,000 right now, but, uh, the experiences. Do you you think Barry Bonds is ever just at home being like, if only I had the home run ball from 756. I think Barry Bonds is an unpleasant, I mean, yeah, but Barry Bonds is one of the more unpleasant people on the planet. Uh, this is true too. (laughs) <laughs> just randomly on twitter it got shared him and jim leland arguing like in like spring training 1991 or you know something yeah. like that or 90 or whatever and they're there, just yeah. like f f bombs back and forth you know and he was unpleasant then uh and he's unpleasant now but i don't know i just feel like if the i would just want fair trade across the board good faith across the board and like i said i I'm not gonna tell someone not to get a million dollars. I mean, I'm not. I'm not comfortable with that. I just think. I just want to do right by a guy. Like, if you're like a Tigers fan or you're a Cardinals fan, I know it was in L.A. and you caught the ball or whatever. Like, this guy obviously was important to you and in, in your life and gave you all these great memories. Same thing, Yankees and Judge and all that stuff. Um, you are now a part of his story. Are you a part of his story if you just? sell it at you know some online auction and no one really knows who you are or whatever like i don't know i just feel like i think it's a i think it's a baseball like why does the i don't know players got his bat he's got his helmet he's got his batting gloves he got his uniform from that game you know i I think the baseball goes into the stand every other baseball that goes into the stands belongs yeah but but those things get used for other aspects the baseball is only is only okay so okay so the, the maybe the players should tell uh Okay, so you're saying the bat you've used it for other yeah hits yeah it's not just the bat for for that so like the baseball is the only thing that is exclusively unique to that moment is what I'm saying. I think if I were the player, I wouldn't be losing sleep over like the baseball, but hard to say. I uh, unfortunately have never set a home run record, so I guess I can't know what that's like. All right, Cody. Anything else you wanted to dive into before? No. We now that out? everyone thinks I'm a terrible person. Uh, no, I think I don't sense. think you're a bad. person. I'm in I favor of you... doing right by people. Absolutely, above all else, you should not go and steal things from the player's locker. You should not do this. You should. Not... I think doing right is if the fan catches the ball, the fan should be able to do whatever they want. And I think more people I agree think, with you than uh, agree with me. And I think that that means the fan should realize the value of what he or she uh, holds in their hands and should not settle for anything less than its its full worth. I would definitely ask for more than just a signed bat. Uh, I would I would say that. Um, so there's there's probably not a right or wrong. We'll see how we'll have to monitor how much that cuz I assume like you wouldn't would you okay, actually here's something we need to discuss real quick. Would you ever just keep it? Like the 700 ball or the no. 62 ball or... No, especially no. knowing, like, if it's a cool keepsake, um, you could get so much other cool stuff if you trade it with the team or whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, giving it to Cooperstown, like, I'd give it to the player before I gave it to Cooperstown. Uh, no, I, I don't think I would have any interest in just keeping it, especially knowing you can get either an absurd amount of money or, like, a lot of other cool stuff out of it. I think that I almost think that Actually, would be vain to do. Look what I have, ha ha ha! I almost think that would be like, mm-hmm. even though you're not profiting off of it, that would just be like weird to just keep it and do nothing with it. I think. 
then one day some kid, you know, think about take, how much. Then one day some kid, on like he's he's gonna take it out of your like trophy room. He's gonna use it in a game. He's gonna hit it over a fence, <laughs> and this big dog <laughs> is gonna chew it up. It's not what you want happening. I think that'd make a hell of a movie. I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. came up with that. Um, actually, I came up with this. I came up with what I would do for like a 74th home run in a season or a 757th career home run. Here's what I would do. I would leverage the Hall of Fame to move from Cooperstown because there's no reason that you're in Cooperstown. You're in Cooperstown based on a lie. It's a pain in the ass to get to. <laughs> like it's terrible. It's terrible. Move somewhere where there's an airport within, I don't know, four hours. Like, I just, that's what I would do. I would leverage the Hall of Fame to move somewhere that you can actually get to that's not a pain in the ass. There. That's what I would do. That's what I would Oof. do if I had, if I caught the ball. You like that? But now you're talking about sacrilege. You're moving the entire Hall of Fame. You hate the tradition and the history of the game. Even though it is based on a lie. So, actually, you love... you. Yeah, that's a hot take. Actually, that's a hot take. I like it. If, if if it was actually based, if that was true, I wouldn't move it. But you know, <laughs> but it's like it's BS. Like it's just like dumb. <sighs> okay, I don't. I'm gonna get worked up here, so we gotta get out of here. Uh, <laughs> anything you want to tease or plug, my no, man? No, no. Last week of the season coming up. Wow, we made it. Some, well, we haven't made it yet. One more week, <laughs> and we will. We will make it. Yep, yep, and again, I gotta, I gotta compliment the 2022 Detroit Tigers for at least giving us an, enough to talk about and for you to write about because we've, yeah, somehow. All right, well, I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you for subscribing to the Athletic, so you can read Cody's work. Thank you for following us on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen at Kieran underscore Steckling at Turn Corner Pod. Please subscribe Apple, Spotify, five star review if you feel so inclined. Hopefully, we provided a little entertainment on what was an eventful week for the Detroit Tigers and one that we might look back on if things go well down the line. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have an amazing week. <laughs>